You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Hi, everyone. Sophia Bush here. Welcome to Work in Progress, where I talk to people who inspire me about how they got to where they are and where they think they're still going. Today's episode is pretty special and maybe a little out of the ordinary because I actually am interviewing my personal doctor, Dr. Lekos. When I went in for my first appointment with Dr. Lekos, he spent over two hours with me, you guys. It was incredible. And he taught me so much about my own health that honestly, I never knew and that nobody had ever talked to me about before. And I asked him if he would come on the show and share his knowledge with all of you. So we're going to talk about how to find the right doctor, the important questions that you should be asking your doctor to make sure you're getting the right care, why functional medicine is important, and we get a little metaphysical too. There's a whole lot coming your way right now. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming today. My pleasure. I'm very excited about this. I... I'm excited for the audience to get to really deep dive with you in the way that I do as your patient for the last year. I also realize for listeners at home, it's probably atypical for a podcast host to have medical conversations with their doctor on a podcast, but you've taught me so much about a more expanded view of both medicine and care. And I think that as so many people are trying to figure out how to take care of themselves, how to be healthier, what questions to ask their doctors, this is information that everyone should have access to. And unfortunately, not everyone can be your patient because you only have so many hours in the day. Right. So here we go. You and I met thanks to Lauren Roxborough, who is an incredible body worker. And how do you explain her? She's just (laughs) incredible. She... So many of you have probably seen, you know, her videos, done her foam rolling exercises. She really, I think, helps people heal their own bodies and and strengthen in really important ways. And when I was saying, 
the irony that I'm from LA, but that I've lived out of town for 15 years. And she was saying, well, like, who's your doctor? And I was like, I don't have one here. You know, I don't have any people here. I'm reamassing a team. And she said, well, I have your GP for you. So that's how we met. Can you explain to people listening at home a little bit about what you do? What is functional medicine? It's a very unique style of practicing for sure. And let me tell you what it's not. Mm. It's not conventional Western medicine. Mm. Now, conventional Western medicine has its place for sure. It has good acute care. You break your arm, you have a heart attack, you have a stroke, you go to the ER. Mm. That's where it shines to me. It's where it really works. But where it fails us is in preventing disease. They don't Mm. teach us in med school how to prevent stuff. It's like treating stuff. So Western medicine is more about waiting till you get sick and then you go to the doctor. Mm. Where functional medicine is more about being proactive and staying healthy and getting healthy and learning how to be healthy and on all aspects. So we look at when someone comes to you, they usually have something wrong because they're Mm. following the typical wait till I get sick thing. (laughs) But we look for what is the cause of the problem. What's the root cause? Where's the fire burning that's causing the symptoms? Because Western medicine is like, oh, you have heartburn, here's your pill. You got cholesterol problem, here's another pill. Oh, you're depressed, here's your other pill. It's all Mm -hmm. about treating symptoms. I'm not treating symptoms. I'm looking for where is the symptom coming from in the first place. Mm, You're looking for the root cause. That's right, the root cause. And number two, we look to optimize the health. We look to look, like, let's say, I want your body firing on all cylinders, whether it's nutrition, diet, sleep, meditation, you name it, where everything's firing, you're optimizing health, you're living a nice, long, healthy life, you don't get sick, you don't get chronic illness. Mm. And then, as you know, when we do one of your labs, we, we created a plan for you that was very individualistic. It would not work for the girl sitting next to you, mm. it's just you. So people have a symptom or, or let's say anxiety, I always like that one, where it could be from a medicine you're taking. It could be from lack of sleep. It could be from childhood trauma. It could be from hormonal disruption. Mm. So I'm looking for that instead of putting you in a box like conventional Western medicine does and say, here's some Xanax. Mm. See you later. So root cause, optimizing health. It's individualistic. And we look at a ton of lifestyle stuff because that's what influences your health the most. So we look at like, you know, remember when we talk like, where were you born? Where did you grow up? How were you born? Were you breastfed? Did you have a head injury? Any toxin exposures? What kind of water do you drink? What kind of mm-hmm. food do you eat? Is it organic? What do you put on your skin? What are you washing your dishes with? Mm-hmm. You know, are you, how do you handle stress? Are you working out? What's your energy pattern like throughout the day? It's so deep and it gives me a good sense of you. And then, you know, we, we talk about the mind. How do you think? What's your attitude about your life, yourself, the world? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you perceive your reality? Because that perception can create a lot of problems in your health, mm. you know, which we can talk more about. But, and then we talk about spirituality, which is the meditation, mm. doing things way outside the box to learn about who you are, who your soul is, because your mind and your spirit, I'm finding, are influencing our health more than anything else. Mm. Like the body shows up last with symptoms. Do you think that 
that I remember we were talking about a a study maybe last year, and I was just so surprised to find that 30% of patients in said study, I don't even remember what it was for, I just remember the percentage, that 30% of patients who were put on placebos started getting better. And we were talking about how it's just such evidence of how powerful the mind is. If you think you're being treated for something, you can actually get better. That doesn't mean you don't go to the doctor if you have cancer. That doesn't mean that you don't take the medication. But it does mean that our minds are a more potent ingredient in our wellness than I think we have been taught to believe. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I guess I just wonder when you talk about how much the mind influences health, do you look to stats like that as as some of that proving ground? Yeah, somewhat. I mean, there's a lot of research about the perception and how it affects your health. For example, most heart attacks occur on Monday because the perception of, oh, I got a big work week coming, the stress is coming. Mm. Yale did a study where they looked at elder people who had a positive perception of aging. Mm. They had less heart attacks and strokes than their fellow elder people, and they also lived seven years longer than they did. And Harvard did a study where they looked at uh, these cleaning women, maids in a hotel, and told them, they told two groups. One group, they said, did you know that all the work you're doing in all these rooms all day long is equivalent to going to the gym and working out? And the other group, they didn't tell that to. And after a month, the group that they told it's equivalent to working out in the gym, they had lower blood pressure and lost weight versus the other group of cleaning women who did not know that. Those women perceived all day long, hey, 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 I'm working, and I'm, but I'm working out in the gym, it's the same thing. They lost weight and lower blood pressure, the perception. Wow. And if you look at one of my favorite stories of all, there's two actually. One of them is the most fascinating to me is multiple personality disorders. That is nuts. When that you is have, not where I was expecting no, you to listen, go. <laughs> this is crazy. I know it's nuts. Like you have a person who has a personality that has diabetes and they literally have elevated blood glucose, high sugars in their blood. And then the other personality doesn't have diabetes and they have normal blood sugars. Other other multiple personality people have an allergy to say oranges. They eat an orange, they get it in hives. The other personalities don't. They can eat oranges and don't have an allergic reaction. What? Yes, it's crazy. All in the same body. All in the same body. All in the same body. Wow. But a cool, one of the coolest stories is a, a Greek guy named uh, Stomatis Moriatis. He was a Greek war veteran in the United States living here. He goes to the doctor, and the doctor's like, you got lung cancer. You got about two months to live, and you're dead. He goes, I'm not getting treated. I'm going back to Greece. He goes to the island of Ikaria, which is one of the blue zones on the earth where people live to be over 100. He's like, I'm not doing treatment. I'm just going to buy a little buy a little house with a little garden. And his friends catch wind and he's there and he's going, they're all coming to see him and they're having wine and drinking and singing and dancing, playing games and cooking. And He wants to end his he, life beautifully. Yeah, he does. But guess what? Six months goes by. He's not dead yet. He he starts gardening. He, he makes a little garden. He's out there working the land every day, continues this lifestyle. 25 years goes by. He's not dead. He's like, what's going on? I'm going to go back to the United States and, and see my doctors and see what, what happened here. But they're all dead. All of his doctors? Yeah, they're all dead. So oh. he, he just died recently of 102 years old. So him living life and being in life and being around life 
and living that lifestyle of love and fun and being present and, and just soaking in moments with friends and family, that healed him. It's insane. I mean, it's, that's what, that's so touching to me. Like we don't live this way here in this country. Mm-hmm. It's all about work, 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 work. Mm-hmm. But the Mediterranean diet, it's not really the diet, it's really the Mediterranean lifestyle. Mm-hmm. See. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my mom's family uh, is Italian and I remember one of my aunts, my Aunt Joe, used to say, you know, our families all worked to live, and in this country you live to work. Exactly. Exactly. And it's it's an interesting thing when you talk about it in terms of perspective. So before we dive in, because I have so many questions about all of this, but I always like to ask people how this stuff started. I, I, I want to hear how you got into medicine in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I was trained in emergency medicine originally. I've been doing it for 20 years. And I'll never forget, is my third year out of residency. I had a good job in Dallas, Texas, and I sat down for my shift in the ER, and I sat down. I was like, oh, my God, this is not right. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing with myself. It was like a such a defeating feeling, like this mm-hmm. is all this work and all this stuff I've done to get here. And I knew in my soul this is not what I'm supposed to be doing with myself. Mm. So I was like lost. I was like frustrated, and I didn't know what, it, what that meant. And my wife had bad insomnia. We're, we tried to find other ways to help. And I started looking at other ways, other modalities, alternative things. And that kind of sparked my motivation to look outside the box, which with, I was taught. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, making phone calls, dabbling into this, and I found functional medicine. So I go to my first conference on it. And it was like Oprah's aha moment. Kind of always hear her talk about it. It's like, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Like, why wasn't I taught this in school? And I knew right then that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. This is my path. Would you call functional medicine something Something just hit me? Because you said that traditional Western medicine treats the problem. You go to the doctor when you're sick. Would you say that the aim of functional medicine is rather than to treat a sickness, the aim is to keep you well? But It's both. Like, both. like you go to the doctor to to remain in health and then obviously be treated when you do get sick. Right, exactly. Interesting. It's exactly like that. That's really interesting. So you mentioned Texas. That's where you grew up, right? Right. Can't you tell with my accent? Can't you tell? Don't <laughs> even get me started. I lived in North Carolina for <laughs> 10 years. Put me in the room with one Southern person and give me one beer. Yeah, and I'm just out. like, oh my God. <laughs> it comes out of me so fast. Everybody always asks why I say y'all. They're, you know, people will say, say you're from California. I'm like, yeah, but I spent a third of my life in the South. I will say mm-hmm. y'all till the day I die. Sorry. Not sorry. Um... <laughs> Okay, tell me, tell me about childhood. I'm, I'm curious, because obviously I know you now. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, who, who were you at, at ten? You weren't Doctor Lekos when you were a little boy. So who were you? Wow, never been asked that before. Mm. Interesting. Uh, you know, my dad's from Greece, and my mom's what part? Athens. Mm. My mom's from Dallas, and you know, he was. They were great parents. It's funny how you. Look back at your parents, the way they raised you, and mm-hmm. and the good and the bad, the ugly, whatever. But 
you know, he had that Greek mentality of like, this is how you do this. No question. You know, you just <laughs> like about being very almost militant mm -hmm. and good grades. Don't work for the man. Be your own boss. Mm. You know, grew up a lot around a lot of culture going to Athens and Greece and islands and things, which was amazing. But, you know, talking to my patients, I really see the same thing that I went through that they went through, where sometimes you're not allowed to be who you are. Mm. Not to show emotion. These European cultures, that's where some of them lack, even though they have this lifestyle, which is amazing. Sometimes I find that me and other people have this, I don't know, this way of not being allowed to express yourself and you have to find yourself later. Like, who am I really? Mm. I had to be this kid who made good grades and da, da, da. What, that's fine. I mean, it got me where I'm at. I learned some great stuff from my parents, that's for sure. Mm. But look, there's no parenting rule book. You do your best. Yeah. What can you do, you know? You do your best, and that's what they knew, and that's what they did to me. It's fine. Th that was my path anyway. Mm -hmm. I accept it as my path. That's my journey. That's, who, that's what made me. So I don't have any, like, bad feelings about anything. But I did find it interesting how in my 30s and 40s, trying to figure out what I'm about. And now I'm good with myself, but there is that journey. Hmm. When you were young, I think I had a little bit of that too, you know, my mom's mom was an immigrant and my dad is an immigrant and I always joke with friends who have parents who were immigrants that it's like you can be a doctor a lawyer a doctor or a doctor that's, that's you know <laughs> it's like that's my aunt joe again being like what do you want to study in college but I I wonder this this you who's my friend that you're so inquisitive and so sensitive and so naturally I think expansive if I may, did you have those tendencies as a, as a boy? Were you really curious about systems and relationships? You know, what do you, what do you think informed that, even if it was an undercurrent, even if you kind of had to be this like straight-edged, straight-A kid, where, where do you think that stuff came in? Yeah, I think I've always been a seeker. Yeah, always been a seeker, but I don't think I was comfortable enough in my own skin to let it out hmm. to be honest with you and fitting the social norms the way we're supposed to you know we're supposed to grow up and do this and go to college and go to med school or whatever you're just kind of following the the trail of crumbs that you're quote supposed to follow mm -hmm. but you know I got off that path and went a different way with my career and you know we talk a lot about with each other our own personal spiritual and personality growth and becoming who we are as human beings and souls to let that out. I talk a lot about that with my patients, how important mm -hmm. it is for you to do you. Mm -hmm. You don't need to worry about what anyone else thinks about you. Mm -hmm. It means nothing. Do you, be you, say you, wear you, whatever, because that's who you are in your soul and that's who you need to be on this earth. You don't need to act like what your parents did to you. You make a decision when you're a kid that you're unlovable, not good enough, not smart mm. enough, not pretty enough. I'm not worthy. And that record runs in your mind your whole life, mm -hmm. you see. And what I'm finding is the way people are thinking that record's in their mind playing, it's creating illness and disease in their body. The mind-body connection is massive. Let me give you mm. an example, a cool study. Last year, they took two trees, 
They put them in a high school. And that trees were covered in a glass box. You couldn't touch them. They got the same sunlight and the same water every day. The students were supposed to love one of the trees, praise it. Oh, you're the best tree ever, taking selfies and sticky notes. I love you. And you're the best. Your leaves are amazing. I love the green. They're just mm. amazing. The other tree in the 30 feet away was bullied. You're a piece of shit tree. We hate you. You die. You're ugly. You're stupid. No one likes you. Blah, blah, mm. blah. Same water, same sun. 30 days later, that tree's killing it. Beautiful. That tree is dying. Its leaves are withered, half oh. yellow. So that makes me so sad. Right? But the point of it is that kids are projecting their their thought, their energy mm-hmm. toward a living thing and created amazingness and creating death. People are walking around the earth with this stuff playing in their head. I'm not good enough. I'm this, that, and the other. I care what people think about me too much. Um, you know, I'm a people pleaser. I'm not, I'm fat, whatever. And they're running this in their mind all day, like a record. They mm-hmm. don't know they're doing it until I bring it to their attention. Your body feels that. Your body senses this and it creates illness in you. Mm-hmm. Your cells feel that stuff. So I spent a lot of time teaching people, okay, let's rewind. Let's show you how to think about you different. Mm-hmm. Let's show you how to reset the way you're thinking. And sometimes you got to be aggressive. Sometimes you have to do things that are, subconsciously changing like past life regression or you do a psychedelic or you've got to go that route to Mm. reset the mind because some people are really hurting and i'll tell you what the people who i talk to who have had so much childhood trauma they are all so sick especially autoimmunity and other things the people come in like hey doc why don't you check me out i feel pretty good they really don't have minimal trauma in their life it's just i'm seeing the evidence and the people who are more sick have more emotional struggle and pain. Wow. Yeah. So before you kind of get into this more expansive arena of medicine, how do you wind up in the traditional route? You know, were were you leaning into science as a kid or was it in college that you decided to go pre-med? Where, how, how did it happen? Well, you know, it's kind of like you said, your, your dad's like, you can be a lawyer, doctor, businessman. Mm-hmm. Which one do you want to do? That's right. what he told me one day. Like, well, I'm good at math and science. I like science a lot. Go be a doctor. Yeah. Kind of, but I always had it in me. Honestly, I remember being in fourth grade, like this kid out of polio, and he had the crutches, and he's like walking around, and kids are making fun of him. And I was just like so sensitive toward that little kid. Like, oh my God, I wish I could help him. Like, what can I do? And mm. it just, I, that's my first memory of me, like having the inner heart desire to help people was that little kid. That was, first kind of calling. Yes, voice. that was the calling inside of me. Like, okay. And that kind of kept pulling at me and pulling at me. And then you go to med school and you do the whole residency and you know, here I am. But Where'd you go to medical school? Uh, University of North Texas Health Science Center in Fort so you, Worth. You stayed in Texas. I did. Cool. And residency in, in uh, Houston. What were you into? Do you remember like what you were reading, what you were watching when you were you know, I was a standard a American kid when I was like, growing up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a standard American diet back then, <laughs> you know. TV, video games, mm-hmm. bikes, skateboards, girls, you name it, just the usual <laughs> <laughs> the thing, you know, right. getting in trouble, sneaking out. And so when you went through school and into your residency, did you have to declare a specialty? How, how do you wind up working in the ER? Yeah, so yeah, you do have to declare something that you want to do during your med school, like which path they'll want to take. And so I decided on emergency medicine because okay. I like the lifestyle. And I didn't like 
I didn't like how I could be pigeonholed into being a doctor. Like, oh, you're going to be a derm doctor, a skin doctor, right? Or you're going to be an oncologist with cancer. You're going to be a heart doctor. I felt like it was not broad enough. I wanted, if I'm doing this, I want to know everything about everything and how to, I want to be able to treat anything that comes in the door, not uh, mm. a heart attack. And that's all I know. Isn't that funny, though, that when you think about that, if you look back, you were always trying to look at the whole picture. Exactly. That's a good point. Look at that. Oh, my God. See? See? <laughs> you always had it in you. Very good. What's training like for emergency medicine? I imagine it's really rigorous and intense and scary. It is. It is. I was terrified, to be honest with you. I never forget the night before. I was just whew, so scared. I know what's coming for me. And residency is brutal. It's uh, You're not prepared to see what you're going to see because everything that comes in is bad, first of all. Mm -hmm. You see death. You see kids die. You see suffering, pain. And at first, all of us are crying. We're just not used to this. Whoa, it's like a, amazing. We're all going off and crying in the corner because of what we see. Mm. But I've talked about this before, how ER makes you grow thick skin. It makes you detach from what you're seeing. And it's mm -hmm. not in a good way. Mm. It's in a bad way. It creates this wall around you to deal with what's happening in front of you. And it, but detached me from human beings. It made me mm -hmm. disconnect from everyone. I went through that in my in my life. Even at was, home, you mean? Yeah, even at home. It's like you're so detached from people because of the boundaries you put up to protect yourself. It's a coping mechanism. You totally, mean. totally. So you're at home. Your your wife is like, "Oh, this is a problem." Da da da, and she's upset. And you're like, "Whatever. It's you're not dying. Come on." And she gets yells at you like, you're a freaking robot. You don't react to anything. You're just like cold stone faced, wow. you know, and it makes you unemotional. And you can't turn it on and off. So no, I would imagine it's, like, it's you. I would imagine that in that experience, it's not like you could turn to her and say, the reason that this isn't causing a reaction in me is because I saw this horrible thing yesterday. You can't, you don't have the. Right. You don't. It's not like you can be vulnerable at home and then impenetrable in the ER. Some people can. I, I couldn't. Hmm. So how did you begin to cope with that? Because obviously there's a wake-up call where you realize, I don't want to live this way. I don't want to have these these boundaries up so that I don't have to feel all this sadness. So what do you do? Yeah, I started noticing um, at home you would notice, wow, I, f I feel like alone. I really did. Mm -hmm. Wife and kids doing their thing, and you feel so detached from it. It's the most bizarre, weirdest thing ever. Did you ever feel like you had a bird's eye view of your own life? No, hmm. I like that. But then you become aware, like, of what's going on, and you realize your wall that you put up for safety mm. is creating a wall around the people you love or between. So you have to work on breaking down the wall. Where do you start? Well, I awareness is first. You got to be aware of it. And I tried psychedelics to see if that would change me as a person because I was hearing about, oh, people coming out of these experiences after psilocybin or DMT, I'm a, they're changed people. And I thought that would make me change. Can I ask how a traditional medicine doctor 
winds up deciding that a psychedelic experience might be the way to go because so many people, and I'm sure so many people listening at home, wouldn't assume that and would think you might be opposed. But now there's so much research coming out. You know, you see the research being done at Johns Hopkins with psilocybin as an alternative to an antidepressant, how healing plant medicine actually is for the body. You see it being decriminalized in Oakland and Denver, all of these incredible trials happening with healing on a spectrum of illnesses from plant medicine, be it psilocybin or CBD. You see research being done with veterans with incredible PTSD being treated with MDMA to break the trauma cycle in the body and create euphoria so that their body unlearns trauma patterns. How do you think you found your way to that? Because it's really becoming popularized in the last two years, I think, in in Mm -hmm. sort of common conversation. But what, what led you there? Was it research that you saw? Was it someone who had an experience and you figured, I understand chemically how that works. Maybe that would be good for me. How, how do you make the decision to cross it, that boundary? Yeah, there was some research into it. Like I was just hearing about what the studies you just mentioned and, the, mm. and you know, MAPS in New York is the big group. Can you tell the listeners at home what MAPS is who don't know? MAPS is a privately funded organization that researches psilocybin and psychedelics for the for health and well-being. Like mm. you just mentioned, all the mm. depression, PTSD, MDMA for that. So they've created this, the pathway, so to speak. So mm. they're, they're amazing. But I was looking at that and I was reading articles on people who've done these things and they came out different. And I'm like, I was so desperate to change myself that I, would, I was going to try anything. Mm. And so I did. And, you know, it, it helped me in a lot of ways, but I had a long way to go. And I kept diving into, well, let's microdose for a while and see what that's like with psilocybin that helps too and but then it's just a stepping stone and for people at home when you talk about microdosing, that's such a small dosage it's essentially like and correct me if i'm wrong here in my understanding it's essentially like if you had been prescribed a let's say a lexapro or a wellbutrin some sort of traditional antidepressant rather than taking a chemical compound you take a small dose of psilocybin that doesn't create any noticeable effect. You're not like yeah, totally mushroom tripping correct. like in a movie. Yeah, it's totally subperceptual. You have no idea that it's doing, you don't feel it. Got it. But it helps to It's It grad- gradually opens the mind, the mm-hmm. intuition, the heart. The You know, it's like you just mentioned people doing the big journeys, getting healed from depression and PTSD. It's like a subtler, slower way of that happening to you. A natural alternative to a daily antidepressant, essentially. Interesting. So do you think, because I wonder when you say, maybe this is just me recognizing a little bit of myself in you, and we know we're similar people, so I'm just going to go in with this question, (laughs) which I might be asking myself. But when you say um, that you really wanted a change, you wanted to make a change, you knew that you were living in this this walled-up way, and it had to be different. You know, you just said, like, I would have tried anything. Do you think maybe at first you thought, oh, that might fix it? Like maybe that'll be my quick fix? Oh, totally. Totally. And then to the point of of functional medicine, you realize, oh, it's a lifestyle change. Correct. It's a requirement of eating differently, talking to myself differently, integrating Mm -hmm. meditation, different sleep practices. I know because I'm learning all of this right now. I'm like, weird. It's so weird. I did the thing and I'm not just suddenly better and a superhero. It's so strange. I have to do this every day? Okay, (laughs) great. Every day. Cool, cool, cool. So what do you you think after you realized there wasn't a quick fix, 
and you realized maybe this ER medicine world wasn't for you, that it was, I don't want to say killing your sensitivity. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but. That's a good way to put it. Okay. With the people I loved, it was weird. Yeah. Like, it seemed like this is, when I was with my family or even my parents or brother, sister, like I, I've had this like lifelong thing about, it was hard for me to show love. Hmm. I felt like I needed to get out of that hug quick because I would feel vulnerable. I would feel like I'm, I'm about to get hurt. Hmm. You know, I, I wanted to get out of it. So I would make it quick. And that's not a good way to live. It's not a good way to be a dad and a, a husband and et cetera. And so I was really like, why am I like this? Why, what is going on? Where did this come from? It's like, it was driving me bananas. Hmm. So that's why I was mentioning to you earlier about how I did past life regression 10 days ago. And I, that whole thing became clear. Whoa. And I feel relieved of that burden now. Really? Like that's, yeah, that's what's blowing my mind is like, I don't feel like that anymore based on what I went through during my past life regression. It showed me things that explained to me why I'm that way. And I don't know if it's, are you really seeing past lives? I don't know. Is it your mind trying to heal you while you're in this hypnotic state? I don't know. I don't really care. But who cares? Right. You know, past life regression is like a branch of hypnosis that takes you deep in your mind into the inner awareness of you. Hmm. I kind of, it kind of felt like you got out of the way and you left your spirit or soul or mind to divine power, whether it's spirit guides, angels, whatever, to guide you through this experience. But in my lives, I had such loss of love many, many times. And the pain of it was so strong. Like I was bawling mm. in there. Wow. Just bawling because of losing my love so many times that my body decided, my soul, you ain't doing that again, brother. You ain't going to feel love again. You're not going to feel that suffering and pain again. And that's kind of, I was like, okay, now I get it. This is kind of why I'm, to, it just resonated with me. I know it sounds kind of weird, but it resonated with me. And it felt like I healed that part of me when I got done with it. Wow. So like I came home and I saw my son and I hugged him and I was crying and I was just like, I had none of that usual feeling I would. None of that jumpiness no. in your body. Like no, you got to like, avoid oh the closeness. Yes, correct. And I think so many people have that. Really? Yeah, I do. I, I, I think a lot of people, depending on what they've been through, can struggle in the face of intimacy. I know for me, and we've talked a lot about this, and I've, I've talked to my audience about this, my experiences in my job in Chicago, while there were so many people who were amazing, what I was going through with the person who was so awful to me affected the whole environment. You know, if you, if you poison a well, all the water is bad. And the jumpiness that I felt in that space, something I learned and going through trauma therapy and, and then diving into the research of it, because there's people who've been far more traumatized than I have, but trauma in the body is trauma in the body, right? So I started to, to research the field. And what I realized is that when you have um, effects from post-traumatic stress, your startle response gets really 
abnormally increased. Mm-hmm. And the jumpiness I would experience, someone would touch me on the shoulder from behind and I would be two feet off the ground wow. and like ready to throw a punch and ready to run. Sometimes when people would hug me, it would actually make me uncomfortable. Hmm. To wow. that to that thing you talk about, like people wanting to to hold me made me feel icky and I wanted to get out of it. Even your family? And, like really there was a period where anyone, like I just did not want to be touched and try being a person who's, you know, on TV that strangers want to hug and take pictures with. It was really kind of a nightmare for me and I would power through it and try my best, but it was really hard. And sometimes I would leave an interaction with strangers and just go home and sob, and I didn't know what was happening. Wow. And now, having done a lot of work, both, you know, physically with my health, with sort of adjusting the way I treat my body, adjusting the way I sleep, you know, and and looking at the mental effects of this stuff, I feel like a completely new person. Like, I was at one of my best friend's birthday parties last night and 10 of us were curled up on this big sectional <laughs> couch together like little puppies, uh, just all like curled up on each other's shoulders talking about life and dreams and what we want for the next decade and all these things. Uh, and I was like, God, it's so nice to be back that's good. like this. But I don't think many of us have been offered a map to these avenues to heal. And it excites me when people who have traditional and and who are armed with accolades like you are, you know, traditional medical training say all the medicine and the ERs and the cutting edge technology all matters. And so does all this mental exploration. So do these alternative therapies. So does meditation. So does sleep. So does diet. It all matters. You can't just right. be a doctor who gives people pills. If you want to be a true doctor, if you want if you want to fulfill your calling to make people well you have to look at the full picture I do. that's what exactly well said it is mind body spirit lifestyle it's everything mm. you said the word spiritual which i was going to come to later but i shouldn't be surprised that we got right into it because all of our talks tend to be spiritual how do you think spirituality and medicine are tied together because so many people think they're separate and you talk about them as though they're really intertwined. Yeah. You know, as you know me, I'm, it's a big part of my world. When I talk to patients about spirituality, my first go-to or goal for them is to meditate. Mm. And I love the app Brain.fm. It's my favorite app. It's a technology where you listen to these cool sounds, very spacey stuff, and there's hidden tones in there that pull your mind into that theta wave, which is that meditative state of mind. Mm. And I'll walk them through a meditation and I want them to start connecting with themselves uh, to kind of help and guide them through that. How do I do that? What do I think about? And that's my first step is to start having them look at themselves. How do I think? Do I believe in something bigger than me? Does it matter what it is? Mm. That's what spirituality means to me is you believe in something bigger than you. It doesn't matter what it is. But taking that deep dive within yourself and in your soul and looking within your heart can really open up your mind to, okay, wow, look at these patterns I'm in. Look at how I'm thinking. Look at how I'm perceiving this reality I'm in. It's so skewed and so wrong and so negative. Mm. No wonder I feel like shit all the time. And so 
there's many other spiritual modalities. We have energy healers. And we're in LA. We have the Mecca of all that stuff. We got mm -hmm. it all. We got shamans and healers and energy people and past life regression people. We got mediums. We got all these people. And we, we have float tanks on every corner. We have all kinds of cool stuff. So that's what, what I would love to see spread more across the country because mm. it really is helpful. Really is helpful. And to me, I think uh, you kind of need a team. Sort of, you need like the functional medicine doc or like you need a healer, an energy person, you need a hmm. shaman or a therapist or whatever. We have energetic workers, we have it all. I kind of create this team approach to people's health instead of like, oh, I'm going to go to the doctor for 10 minutes and get a prescription and walk out. Hmm. You know, so I'm just keep going back to this, but I keep finding that if you keep looking inside and discovering new stuff about you, that these, the way you think will change over. It's just a slow progression, but mm -hmm. you will change and you will start to feel better physically. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting because I, I remember back to our first appointment and I was in your office for two hours. Mm -hmm. I've never seen a doctor for two hours for any reason, not even in an ER. I mean, I've like, I've been having, you know, a serious injury treated and not seen a doctor for that long. And, and you did, you took me through my whole medical history and then you started talking to me about what kind of a household I grew up in and how how my relationships had been and what kind of trauma I had experienced. And, you know, was I in a regular therapy practice and was I meditating every day? I was like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> but it was also so awesome. But right. I just, it was, I was sort of dumbfounded by the experience because I'd never had that before. And it's been really fascinating to start learning how to draw parallels between all of it. Why do you think society is so focused on just medicine, medicine, medicine? Why do you, why do you think the scope is so narrow? Well, I think it's the way we're taught. And when we're doctors are educated a certain way, you got blood pressure, use drug A, doesn't work, add B or use C, add them together, whatever. And we're kind of taught that way. And it's kind of Wait till you get sick, then go in kind of thing, not be proactive and preventative. Hmm. It's just not how we're taught. And you know, if you want to go there, you can go there. But it's like, does Big Pharma want us to get better? I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about making money too. Yeah. I mean, and, think about how long Big Pharma fought the rise of marijuana as medicine, CBD as medicine. Totally. All the research that's funded through pharmacological companies. And, think about, yeah, how many people are serving prison sentences over marijuana. I think about the effects of the pharmaceutical industry fighting the advent of new medicines, which have then really affected the criminal justice system and unfairly treated entire populations in it's our country. The down effect that occurs. Yeah. It's amazing. Everything's really it's connected. Amazing. You know, it's like those people have families too. That goes even further. It really mm -hmm. hurts the person. And mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's unfortunate, you know. It's like you go to Europe and Germany and other companies that are much more progressive, outside the box, different modalities, using ozone, using other cool technologies that we don't allow here. And, and you know, is it because we don't want to heal stuff as fast mm -hmm. as we really, really want to because of the money thing? I don't, I don't know. What do you mean by ozone? Ozone. Ozone gas. Like from the atmosphere? Yeah. So Germ Germans have perfected. Tell the us everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, Germans have perfected the administration of ozone gas. They've been doing it for a long time. For what? Go to a, well, when you go to like most, a lot of doctor's offices in Germany have ozone machines. We, we have them here in California too. We're luckily we're one of the states that 
allows the use of it, quote, experimentally. But and what it does is oxygen is O2. Hmm. Ozone is O3. It's a very unstable gas. So if you go to get ozone therapy, they put an IV in your arm, they pull your blood out of your body into a machine that puts ozone gas in your blood, and your blood turns bright cherry red. And then that cherry red blood goes back into your body. Because the ozone okay. gas, it uh, it kills lots of bad cells. Like Whoa. It kills viruses and molds and Lyme and cancer cells. And I've had it done, and you feel really, really good when you get done with it. Wow. So, like, it's like, why aren't we having this here? Why? Yeah. You know? Anyone with mold exposure or Lyme disease or yeah. precancerous that's, cells could that's get I, better. That's what I use it for. Like, patients who have these Epstein-Barr and these other Lyme or molds, I'll go, you know, have docs in Santa Monica that do ozone, and I'll send them there. Wow. And, you know, sometimes you need one treatment. Sometimes you need 10. just depends. But that's what I'm talking about. It's like looking outside of this box. I, like, I, I don't know what the hell ozone was back in when I was training. I mean, what is that? No one was telling you about if, that in medical you don't, school. You're not taught it. And if you're told about it, you're like, oh, well, that's just bullshit. Who knows? That's not going to work. You know, because you're not, you're not told it works. So you, you believe what you're told. What do you think the larger effects on our medical system are of so many doctors having their purviews shrunken down like that? Oh, wow. I mean, you're really limiting care of people. I mean, mm. it's an unfortunate system. Like, look, these doctors are trained. It's a lot of work. And now it's becoming where they're forced to see a lot of patients every day in order to make make bills get paid. Mm -hmm. So they can't spend all the time that I can spend. They I have a 10 minutes with you and they're out. You know, insurance reimbursements are going down. Now doctors got to see more people to make, got to pay their staff, et cetera. It's getting harder and harder. Mm -hmm. So it's not a good system. I mean, I don't know if there's a perfect system in the world yet, but however, what I'm seeing is more physicians I'm meeting and talking to, they are starting to look outside the box. And why? Because people are taking their health in their own hands now. There's mm -hmm. a huge movement right now with people. They're sick of waiting till they're sick. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, no, I'm going to start getting proactive in my health and I'm going to start educating myself. Mm -hmm. Look, if you want to get healthy and not get sick and you can't afford, you know, functional medicine, docs, whatever, start educating yourself. Mm -hmm. See a nutritionist at the minimum, but listen to podcasts, listen to smart people who know what they're talking about, learn how to biohack your body, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But people are learning so much that they're going to their doctor and saying, hey, I want you to do this. I want to do this test. I want to treat myself like this. What do you think? And they're like, what? what? What's all this? What are you talking about? They don't have no clue. So wow. they're forced to go learn and look into these, open up different doors that they never mm -hmm. opened before. And now they're starting to go, oh, okay, well, that worked. I tried that on her and mm -hmm. it worked. So I'm curious about that because to your point, you know, you said if people can't afford to go see a functional medicine doctor, you know, I really decided a year ago, I said, I've, I've, had great, fine doctors. I have good health care. You know, I'm very pro-union for exactly that reason. For me, you know, I said, I've, I really want to start investing in my health care and, and in feeling better in, in a way like I would invest in, I don't know, something financial. And I feel really lucky. I, you know, I've worked really hard and I have the privilege of being able to afford being one of your patients. 
And I am curious what you would tell people listening at home when you talk about doing research, when you talk about, you know, what people should be asking of their doctors they have from their insurance providers. If you were going to tell people five things to do starting today or tomorrow to start to change their relationship to their own health, what would those things be? Obviously, meditation is number one for you, and Brain FM or yes. Headspace are great resources for that. Yeah, so I think the key areas for longevity and health and wellness would be diet. And are there, I know you said obviously that's specific for people, but are there general recommendations that work well sure. for everybody? Everyone who I see, as you know, is gluten free and dairy free. Mm -hmm. I love intermittent fasting as a way of eating. Because intermittent fasting kind of mimics your genetic pattern. We're still like cave people. Mm. Did they wake up and have eggs and oatmeal and bacon and toast? No. Hell no. They're out in bushes looking for some berries and stuff foraging around. Mm. So there's a lot of research on intermittent fasting where what that generally means is for the audience is uh, it's called it like a general speaking, it's a 16 to 8 rule. 16 hours of fasting and 8 hours of eating mm -hmm. or the fast. You know, fasting is kind of, we're losing the intermittent fasting word. It's becoming time-restricted as the new term now, time-restricted feeding. Mm. So anyway, where if you finish dinner at 7, the clock starts, and you don't eat anything until the next day, 16 hours later, which would be 11 a.m., mm. that's the fast. Now you have an eight-feed window from 11 a.m. until 7 p.m., and then at eight hours, you need to eat your full day's requirements of food. That's the biggest mistake I see is people don't do that. But intermittent fasting can be shown to be very beneficial to our health because it lowers cholesterol, blood pressure, mm -hmm. diabetes risk goes down, anti-aging genes get turned on, cancer risk goes down. Wow. It's great. You lose weight. Your brain starts to function better. I so, find that I do really well on a 12-hour window. Yeah, there's different How ones. do you feel about that? Yeah, 12s are fine. Okay. The, the benefits <laughs> start at 12 and they kind of go to 16. There's a, it's, cool. it's debatable. But there's many ways to intermittent fast. You can mm -hmm. research it and look at it. But I love it. Does it work for everybody? No. Most people, yes. But I love intermittent But you fast. can try it for yeah, free at home and try see. It. It's definitely it's totally free. You'll notice, oh, my God, I feel great. My brain feels great. I'm losing weight, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So diet's key. And I love paleo-Mediterranean mixture, mm -hmm. plant-heavy, 70% plants, 30% animal protein. I'm starting to have patients do three days a week of just pure vegetarian. Mm -hmm. I've I've shifted my diet now where two meals a day for me are plant-based. Good. And that's working really well. I notice that if I go any more than that, just because I'm really low in iron all the time, something I learned from you, thank you. And actually, I've had that test run over the years and been in stages of being anemic and then out of it. If I go f too much more plant-based than like a, you know, 30-70, I, I start to get pretty anemic and I'm, yeah, okay. yeah I notice because all of a sudden I'll be covered in bruises and then my hair starts to fall out, which is super cute. Um, I'm like, wow, I'm really <laughs> shedding a lot. This might be too much. Okay, I need to yeah, eat something. people need to try to see iron because iron it, gets stored as ferritin and ferritin, mm -hmm. if it's too low, can cause hair loss. And that's my whole thing. I learned yeah. that I that I get, I get ferritin through, you know. Yeah, supplementation eating. and stuff. Yeah. So that's, that's a really interesting thing. I think thing. diet is a key one. Number two would be exercise. Everyone needs to move. Hmm. That's a key one for longevity. How much would you say? Because I here's a here's a funny connection. I notice, especially for women, because we're supposed to do everything and we're supposed to do it in a cute outfit with a blowout, you know? 
Uh, it's like we're, we're meant to do everything you yeah. can do and somehow look like we walked off of a runway right. all the time. I'm like, who has the time? But I, I do because my my best friend and I have this incredible, inclusive, non-toxic hair salon in Detroit. We hear so many women say, oh, well, you know, if I get a blowout, I'm not going to work out for three days because I don't want to sweat out my hair, hmm. which I understand. But also I'm thinking, but we have to be moving. So what do you recommend? You know, not everybody has time to go to a spin class or a workout or whatever every day. What do you say is the sort of bare minimum? Something like like Lauren, who introduced us, you know, she's got these foam rolling videos you can mm -hmm. do at home and you won't sweat. I, I'm curious, is it is it 20 minutes minimum a day? Is it 30? Is it go for a long walk after dinner? You know, what do you, what do you say when, when you talk about daily yeah, exercise? Yeah, so if you're doing nothing, I'll have you start slow and just do walks and kind of work yourself into it. It just depends on your conditioning. But mm. I try to get people to do, you know, at least three days a week of high-intensity interval training, mm. HIT. So that's been shown, you know, science shows that that's probably the most effective bang for your buck. You can bang out a HIT workout in less than 30 minutes, 20 minutes, somewhere, somewhere in there. You can do it in your bedroom. Mm -hmm. You don't even need any equipment. You can, you're doing body weight moves. You can cool. go YouTube and find tons of HIT workouts. Cool. So Maybe we'll pull together a couple that yeah. we like and we'll put them in the yeah definitely it's in the easy. resource on this episode for yeah. the listeners it's easy easy free the big thing for me doing this reset i don't even want to call it a cleanse it really feels like a system reset for me i realize i have not had a shred of processed food in 17 days awesome i feel awesome and it actually hasn't been that hard Right? It's not as hard as people think. It's not as hard as you think. It's not. I'm, I'm dumbfounded, actually. But I did realize that for me, you know, part of it has been in the prep. So I've been bringing this bag that's on the floor. I've been doing this. I've been having these giant jars of soup. I've been bringing walnuts. I've been bringing apples, you know, sunflower butter. I'm, I'm bringing my own stuff around with me. Good. Which I also like because then I'm not creating any kind of waste everything's in a glass jar, everything's in a container I own. And I'm kind of trucking around like, look at this, I feel great. And I'm not opening these plastic bags of toxins and pouring them in my face yeah. and then wondering why just, at three o'clock I'm ready for a nap. Yeah, it's sad that the where you work, they don't provide that for the crew. Like mm -hmm. all these hardworking people, you know, they're not making a ton of money, mm -mm. you know, at least feed them something good. When people are going in to see their healthcare providers, what do they need to be asking for? What are what are tests that are not commonly run, but that we all should be having? And how do we begin to ask our doctors to to run those things and to check those numbers for us? Well, you know, most docs check basic lab panels. It's not very in-depth. The thyroid is a big one I see that's under-checked. They just check two mm. markers and they say you're fine or not yet the person in front of them is having all these low thyroid symptoms they're not diving in deep enough um ferritins when we mentioned um cardiac profiles are always not done enough like we they mm. measure the basic five markers for cholesterol but they're not diving into the particle sizes of cholesterol the markers of vascular inflammation those are the things that are predicting heart attacks it's not just like I work in the ERI, so I see a ton of heart attacks and 
50% of people who come in who have a heart attack have totally normal cholesterol. Whoa. It's normal. Whoa. So it's like, well, cholesterol is not the bastard we think it is. It's not, it's not that. What causes heart attacks is like too much sugar, inflammation, the particle sizes are off. Wow. And the immune system. And heart disease is actually the number one killer of women right. in the United States. That's right. So, so how, if I'm, if I may, how old should we be as men or women when we ask for advanced cardiac panels? If you have heart disease in your family, heart attacks, parents, grandparents, then, you know, it's hard to say a number, but at least in your, around 30, I would say. Wow, now that early. Now we're seeing teenagers with high cholesterol. Teenagers. It's so sad where we're headed with this lack of exercise and diet mm. and stuff these kids are eating, sitting around in their technology all day long. You know, you and I are out running the streets on our bikes and having a good time, be back when the sun goes down kind of thing. Yeah. And now that's true. it's so different now. It's so different. And it's so headed the wrong way. So that's a reason for parents to consider limiting screen time as well. Hundred percent. To get their kids moving around. That's it's really interesting. 100%. Okay, so ask for a full thyroid panel. Ask for, start looking at your options for deeper cardiac testing at mm. 30 to, let's say, 35. Hard to say. Yeah, it's really hard to say. If you have heart disease, I would maybe even late 20s, early 30s. It just depends. There's so many factors. I couldn't mm-hmm. really tell you a number. I don't want to tell the audience that. No, it I matters like how much do you weigh? What are you eating? Are you sleeping? Are you stressed? All this stuff matters and affects your cholesterol. Mm. Stress affects your cholesterol. Oh, yeah. Really? Stress is the killer. That's what's going to get us all. Wow. That's what causes all the problems. Look, stress raises cortisol. That's your stress hormone. Mm-hmm. When your cortisol is high all the time. You get these. You can get, yeah, you you get, can get little belly, belly fat. Ugh. But chronic cortisol <laughs> elevation causes so many effects on the body. It causes mm-hmm. insomnia, depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. memory problems, low thyroid. You get cholesterol raises, hypertension, which is high blood pressure. Wow. You can get diabetes, gut problems, hormones get disrupted, low testosterone. Do you think that any of those supplements that say they help to regulate cortisol are legit? Oh, adaptogens? Yeah, they are. Really? Like what, are. What, do you, what do you mean by an adaptogen? Adaptogen means that the herb adapts to you. Oh, So if your cortisol is high, it'll pull it down. If your cortisol is low, it'll pull it up. That's why it's called an adaptogen. Something like an ashwagandha is yes, an adaptogen. Ashwagandha, rhodiola, relora, L-theanine. Wow. Shizandra. There's all kinds of adaptogens. Shizandra berry, right? That's I don't right. know why I find that word to be so funny. It reminds me of um, <laughs> what's the word? It's like the it's like Willy Wonka to me, like the Shizandra berries. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like schnozberry. I've never forgotten the word because I find it so funny. And then That's I funny. think about a kid licking the wallpaper. But those Talk are about like, a psychedelic movie. I know, right? Um, but those are things that can help in your daily routine. Is that the kind it. of thing you'd recommend everybody just take? unadaptogen yeah. every day for sure like that's one of the things everyone ends up on with me oh that's cool life is stressful out there and we can only do we can do what we can do but mm-hmm. it helps to have some kind of supplement some help in to, the body yes and then what about magnesium at night awesome because you're a big proponent of that Love. for sleep most common nutrient deficiency in people is magnesium really why yeah. it has a lot to do with the nutrients in our food we huh. don't, and, we, and our body burns it up 
It's involved in over, we used to think 300 reactions in the cell. Now it's over 700 reactions in the cell. It's play, it has a role in there. Wow. So man, you better have that tanked up. But so many reactions it's involved with, it gets sucked down fast. And magnesium is found in lots of green leafy stuff. And people aren't eating enough of that stuff in their diet anyway. Mm. And then the stuff that they are eating is not that nutrient rich anymore because our soil isn't what it used to be either. Right. Yeah. This is crazy. Uh, uh, they're looking at, a study was done looking at celery and how it, nitric oxide raises in our body from eating celery. Nitric oxide vasodilates our blood vessels and keeps them healthy. Hold on. You got to go back and explain to people what that means. You're like, so, vasodi- vasodilates so, the blood cell. What yeah, are you right. saying that's, to that's me right now? That's a big doctor word. Nitric oxide gets produced in our blood vessel walls. Okay. And it helps keep them healthy and elastic and open and okay. flexible. And when you talk about a blood vessel, are you talking about an actual red blood cell? The blood vessel is like the pipe with which all your blood runs through all over your body. All the piping uh, system. The full vascular vein, system. Veins and arteries. Yeah. Right? So, Did you see the the vascular system in the suspension at the body's oh, exhibit? Amazing. So cool. We should put that in the That's we'll so put that amazing. in the story for you guys so you can see what it what it is. Exactly. So the, in the walls of the blood vessels. Yeah, nitric, nitric oxide, oxide exists and helps them be flexible. Elastic, and it, protect, okay. it protects your cholesterol from forming plaque and creating heart disease. So we know that certain foods we eat, like celery, can increase nitric oxide production. They looked at where did the celery come from in the United States and how much nitric oxide would it produce in the blood vessel system? So in Dallas and in Los Angeles, you had to eat, four or five stalks of celery to get X amount of nitric oxide produced. But in New York, you had to eat 86 stalks (gasps) of celery to get the same amount of nitric oxide production. So that just shows you how it's so different on where your food comes from to affect your body. Like, you oh, eat this diet, XYZ diet, but it depends on where you live now. It's getting very complicated. It's getting very, ugh. Makes your head spin. This is why I'm planting my own garden. <laughs> no, right. I'm like, fuck it, I'm out. It's I'm amazing. I'm gonna just start to grow some things, see what happens. Just a little patch of land. Much, yeah, just have a little garden. It'd be amazing. Oh, yeah, wow. fresh, organic. Okay. Pesticides. So, wow, that's interesting. That's where we were, though. Magnesium for sleep. You said it's the most common deficiency, and why? Because I know when I take magnesium to sleep, it's the best sleep of my life. Good. What it What is it doing? It, it it's a it's a relaxant basically. It makes you relax. People mm-hmm. take magnesium baths, magnesium salts. Mm-hmm. It does open up the blood vessels. It does vasodilate. We call it. It does relax you. It's very calming mm-hmm. to the nervous system too. That's why you feel good and you sleep good. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's something that's one of the things I think most people should be taking. Mm-hmm. There's different forms of magnesium that you need to know about. Okay. Magnesium glycinate and magnesium malate. Those are the magnesiums that get absorbed in your body and are good for you. But mag citrate, magnesium oxide, those are the ones that don't get absorbed into your bloodstream and they stay in the gut and they make you poop. That's why we see products that are more, these types of magnesium make you poop, but they don't help you relax and feel all good. You need the ones that get in your body. Interesting. So you can't willy-nilly magnesium. It's like magmalate or magnesium glycinate, good. Citrate, oxide, you're going to be pooping and not getting all the <laughs> love But hey, feeling. there might be people listening who need that. Yes, for sure. And in that case, go wild. Yeah. 
But it's the first two that you want to take at night. Yeah. Or if you have a problem with constipation, that could be something that could help. Take both. I'm taking that form for that relaxation. I'm taking that form to help me go to the bathroom. So you'd take one of each at night or something. Interesting. Yeah. Look at this. The more you know. Something that I would like to talk to you about, and again, I know it's probably not totally normal for people to talk about their own, you know, medical history or whatever in public. But as a woman, I think that this is a really important conversation to have. One of the things, we ran a bunch of panels. You tested, I mean, everything on and in my body. And one of the things that we looked at was genetic testing. And I'll just try to simply explain this for folks at home because I can't show you a diagram. But essentially, there's these two columns of, you know, the genes you inherit from each parent. And you'll be able to tell me which one it was. I just remember what they looked like, that both on one response, both were negative. And that's not to say that I don't, that my body doesn't do something, but it's that it doesn't do something well. And the thing my body doesn't do well is methylate. And you're going to have to explain what, first of all, what the gene is, second of all, what methylation is. But the highlight and the reason I want to talk to people about this is when you saw that, you said to me, you're not on birth control, are you? And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not taking any horm- any hormones, if that's what you mean. And you said, good, because this genetic marker means that you wouldn't methylate extra estrogen, which could eventually, unmethylated, build up in your body and lead to breast cancer. And I was like, holy shit. Because I was on the pill for over a decade. And I didn't even know until a couple of years ago that there was a non-hormonal birth control option. I actually got to help run an advocacy campaign about... If you need hormones, here they are. And if you don't, there is a non-hormonal option. There's a copper IUD that women can get if you need to be on birth control and your body doesn't do well with hormones. But I didn't even know that there could be a genetic issue or just an issue in the body where you could be taking these hormones thinking you're doing a good thing for yourself and actually be doing something bad. Mm -hmm. And I talked to, I don't know, 40 of my girlfriends about this, coworkers, women I work with, women I do voting stuff with, friends of mine, and nobody had ever heard of this. And I thought, this is a real disservice to women because we have the options, but nobody's talking to us about it and nobody's actually telling us what our bodies do or don't do properly. So can you walk us through that particular genome, mm-hmm. gene? I don't even know yeah, talk, that particular gene. So that other women can ask their doctors for these kinds of tests? You know what? There's a, women can even find out without going to your doctor for that test. Really? Yeah. You just go to 23andMe and do that. And you can, no way. You can download your raw data off 23andMe onto your computer. Mm-hmm. And then you can upload that data to a website called Genetic Genie. Genetic Genie.com? Mm-hmm. Okay. And you upload it and you will see your methyl you will upload it to the methylation status page and you'll it'll print out for you what your methylation status is. And, and what what will it be? Genes. Positive or negative? It'll show you all the genes. Okay. And say minus minus, which means you don't have a defect on either gene, because one's from mom and one's from dad. If it says plus minus, that means one of your parents gave you a defect with the plus sign. Plus signs mean you have a defect. Ah. Plus minus means one parent gave you a defect, the other parent didn't. Mm. Or you have plus plus, where both parents gave you a defective gene. And it doesn't that gene doesn't work great. So it's like a slow gene. You will look up the C O M T 
gene on that printout. Okay. And that's the one we did on you. Okay. And that's what I'm talking about. That's the one you're bringing up. And when... C-O-M-T. C-O-M-T. And what happens is fake estrogen from the birth control pill, mm. Premarin, those fake estrogens, by the way, are made from pregnant horse pee. Did you know that? I'd heard they were yeah. a animal byproduct. I it thought then some of them come from pigs as well, right? I don't know about that. Hmm. Oh, no. Pigs are uh, thyroid, thyroid medication. Yeah, thyroid. That's what it is. Yeah, but, I have a friend who doesn't have a thyroid and uh, yeah. takes medication and it's made from, from pigs. So these synthetic estrogens, when they get broken down in the body – Estrogen gets broken down into three pathways. One of them is breast cancer protective. One of them can potentially hurt the breast. And the third path is kind of in the middle. Mm -hmm. The pill and fake estrogens go down the path that can hurt you. Now, that byproduct, if your COMT gene works, you will methylate that mm -hmm. and it's done. It ain't going to hurt you. Yeah, so we're not saying don't take birth control. We're just saying you need to know how you, your genes work. You need to know how your genes work. But I don't want, I don't want that breast cancer potential thing building up in you anyway. Mm. Like that, I don't want that to happen. I don't, I don't like the pill. I'm like you. I'm just not going to go for it. I don't like it. It causes too many problems. Now, if you have a genetic defect and you can't methylate that, that stuff's going to really build up and that's why your risk can increase. Mm. So we have to make sure that that gene is checked, make sure if it's, if it's, if it's messed up, we need to work around how do we support the gene activity, you know, having good methionine, good B vitamins, don't have mercury toxicity, don't have oxidative stress, there's things you can do to support that gene if it's a problem. But mm. that's why I check it. If you're plus plus, oh, you're getting off that pill. Hmm. And if they're like, you know what, doc, I'm not doing that. I'm not. No, 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 no. I'm staying on the pill. Then I'll, I know ways that I can push your body toward the good path. So Other ways to correct. Yeah. Correct. So if you're in the pill and you're in my practice, you're not getting off, you've refused, I'll put you on DIM, D-I-M. It's a, it's a supplement that you can take that will push toward the good path and away from the bath. Got it. Drinking grapefruit juice here and there can block the bad path. Got Flax it. Black seeds, berries, crucifers, exercising. Got those it. things push the good path. Because I will say, you know, obviously from this chair, the the pill is so important to so many women mm -hmm. and such a revolutionary protector of our ability to work, our ability to be educated, our ability to pursue higher education, our ability to family plan. So you know, I I wouldn't want to not have those options, but I think it's really important to know if you're a woman like me or many women out there who don't methylate, who just have whatever the genetic makeup is. And by the way, don't think there's something wrong with you. It, I'm a very right. healthy person. You know, you said it to me yourself. We looked at my labs. I'm much healthier than I thought I was, which is great. But to know that each of us, depending on our genetic makeup, are either safe from something or at risk of something. It was important for me to know. And then it was important for me to know mm -hmm. that I had other options. But if, you know, if the thing that my insurance covered was only me being on the pill, right. I would want to take dim and drink grapefruit juice and make some dietary changes to make sure I could stay on it and not be worried about right. it. So you just gave a great example of a story of a woman who would be on the pill and can mm -hmm. self-advocate. I'm going to go to get my 23 minute. Mm -hmm. I'm going to upload my test. I'm going to, oh my God, look what I have. I better do this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. so but nobody's telling us this. Right. You're right. They're not. But now these people know. And mm -hmm. it's like, you can do it on your own. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Educate yourself. Listen mm -hmm. to people. 
who are medically oriented podcasts, whatever. Right. And you'll learn stuff. Yeah. Apply it in your life and you'll get healthier and more healthy and more healthy. When are you going to write a book for us? I should. It's on my to-do list. I really, really am ready for your book. The <laughs> 360 approach to wellness, to health, whatever word you like, I, yeah. I'm ready for it. It's on the to-do list. I, I think I'm close. I'm still working on some things, but I will. Hmm. What do you think? What do you think patients? I mean, you know, we're talking about ways to advocate for better care and to take better care of ourselves. What do you think we can do to advocate for better options in the healthcare industry? Because doctors like you aren't covered by insurance, which is crazy to me because I'm like, you're doing 10 times as much as a regular doctor. Why wouldn't you be the first person the insurance company would want us to go to? Because we'll stay healthier. You know, how can we say to our our states and and our federal government, we want this kind of care to be covered. What are our options? That's a good point. And how do you change the system? Mm-hmm. That's the million dollar question. You know, that's always my question. I'm like, damn the man. <laughs> how are we going to burn it down and rebuild it exactly. better? So the answer is, it starts with the people. Mm. It starts with the people. It always has in history and it always will be. When you and I and others start to wake people up and they start going to their docs, demanding things, showing things, proofing things, whether it's scientific or not, that's working. I'm going to do this. I want you to test this. I want you to, I'm doing this. Mm. Docs will start to go, okay, well, I'm expanding this. I'm doing this and the other. I'm going to, you know, we'll start to see more doctors change the way they practice medicine Mm. than oh, well, you know what? We want insurances to pay for these services because we're all doing them out. So then they'll start paying for things. And it's just, it just takes a long time for it to happen. Mm-hmm. But if the people don't start the process, it's not going to change. Hmm. Well, I'm excited for everyone listening to this to have a list they can be armed with to go and advocate yeah. for themselves. That's good. That's really cool. What do you think, even to go a step farther back, what do you think are some of the best questions people can ask when it comes to even finding the right doctor? So there are two resources that I tell people to go to is the um, Institute for Functional Medicine has a website where you can click on it and you can log in and put your zip code, find doctors in my area, Mm. you'll see a list. There's also the a4m.com, capital A, number four, then M is in Mary.com. Mm. It's the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. They have a similar list where you can log in and find doctors in your area who, mm. who, you know, they're usually conventionally trained people, of course, mm-hmm. like myself, and then they've subspecialized into this world. So it's, that's where I would go, those two spots to find people. That's cool. But other than that, it's kind of hard to walk into your doc's office and say, hey, I want you to test me this, that, and the other. Some doctors are cool about it, and some are like, what? You know, no. Hmm. Nice. But you're right. We have to try. I mean, we have to try to be but our own best advocates. People, exactly. Stand up for yourself and say, listen, I want you to check this test. Mm-hmm. You know, it's your health. It's your life. You take control of it. Mm-hmm. Don't let someone else tell you what to do. Yes. And I think especially for women – there's so many studies that have been released about how chronically doctors ignore women's pain and women's symptoms. Oh, yeah. And and those studies, the numbers are so much worse and more compounded for women of color. You know, you look at the mortality rate for black mothers in America, and it's atrocious. Yeah. So 
each of us in our own way has to figure out how to be our own best advocate and what questions to ask and what things to demand when we are in the care of a doctor because there is a good chance that we could be ignored. For sure. I totally agree with you. Mm. And, you know, it's about the person standing up for themselves. Don't be afraid. Just because the guy has a white or woman has a white coat in front of you doesn't mean they're any better than you. You mm. just need to stand up for what you want and say what you want and believe in what you're saying. Mm. And just be polite but firm. You know, you don't have to be rude about it. Just be polite but firm mm. and show why you want to do this test and have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're so busy, they'll just go, okay, fine, you know. But, right, I'll write. I'll write the script. Let's go. Whatever. Something that I did learn: uh, a woman who I follow online shared a story about how she was told by another woman that if you ask for a test and the doctor says no, you know your your doctor who's you're provided to you by your insurance, that you have to ask them to mark a refusal for a requested test in your chart. Didn't and know that. and that I didn't know that either until a couple months ago. And that if you say, I'd like you to document your refusal in my chart, please, I'm going to watch you do it. They'll very often say, okay, give me a minute and come back and say, you know what? We'll run the test. Because <laughs> they it. don't want to be on the hook yeah. for refusing care to a patient. Exactly. So there's another little tip. Damn like the man. Because they don't want to be in trouble if something pops up later they refuse to. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. Wow. And one other thing that we touched on before before we start winding down, we we touched on the the relationship between our mental health and our physical health. And we talked a little bit about how trauma affects the body. There's been this incredible shift where in society we're finally acknowledging trauma. We're talking about mental health. The resources in the healthcare community have not caught up. Mental health care is not on the level that it should be. But at least we're discussing these things. We're discussing these effects do you have advice for patients on those subjects, you know, for dealing with and mitigating traumatic experience? Do you think that that's meditation? Do you think that that's reading about trauma research and then maybe finding a therapist or a modality to to start getting into treatment? Where, where do you tell people to begin? Well, most people come in with me. I've already been they've had some traumatic event. They're already in some kind of cognitive behavioral therapy or talk therapy, mm. which I find very slow to progress. It takes forever. It's expensive. It's a lot of time commitment. Nothing moves. Hmm. So you know me. I'm more about being more dramatic in the shifts. So I'll have them look for ways to reset the subconscious, ways to reset that pattern hmm. with stuff we mentioned earlier like if right. you can find someone who does a psychedelic journey and that's well, and there's a lot of it. there's doc like there's psychiatrists doing that now they are but it's all underground mm-hmm. at this point wow um, but you think we're going to see a big shift in that in the next yeah couple that's years? what they're talking about like the people talk about it's the 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 data and the research and the papers like you mentioned earlier are so strong that mm-hmm. i think and pray and i know it psilocybin will become the next marijuana or will they'll start approving it for xyz conditions and then we'll see it snowball into other things that's Mm going to happen it's too strong it's too powerful wow so that's that's thing that's one way meditations the other Mm -hmm. um a lot of it's a lot of self-work like it's just a lot of self-work but sometimes it's so deep and hard and 
mm-hmm. ingrained in your heart that you have to shake it up a little bit by yeah. something dramatic like that. Yeah. You know? So then there's this supplementation bucket, you know, magnesium at night and all the other things that we were talking about. I know that the supplement market is very crowded mm-hmm. and that a lot of it's junk. Mm-hmm. How do you recommend people begin to navigate it? And how do people find trusted sources of of things that are actually going to be good for their bodies and not gimmicky? Exactly. Because you don't know what you're getting out there sometimes. Mm-hmm. So um, I use nutraceutical companies. Nutraceuticals are like pharmaceutical grade nutrients. Oh, wow. So that's, who, that's all I ever use with patients because I know it's pure, it's checked, it's like the real deal and you're getting what it says on the label. So if someone wants to get a supplement, they should check to make sure it's a nutraceutical. So, yeah, there are nutraceutical companies out there and you can, you can Google lists of them, but there's stuff okay. like Designs for Health, Pure Encapsulations, Orthomolecular, Metagenics, Microbiome Labs. There's all kinds of companies that are amazing that are... Because I, I use their stuff Seed. and you <laughs> see it get, yeah, you see it get, but you see people yeah. get better. So you know it's working. Mm-hmm. You don't want to go buy low quality stuff. And sometimes Amazon, you're getting supplements that you don't even know what that is. Like it says it's this product, but it's not. Wow. It's a little scary. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not a regulated industry. So that's why it's a little dicey unless okay. you know where you're getting it from. So we'll, we'll, we'll put up a couple of your resources in the stories on this episode for okay. listeners as yeah. well. Because you don't, you don't want to spend money on something that isn't good for you, and you, and you don't want to get duped either. Right. But there's like half a dozen, maybe a dozen nutraceutical companies that are good life extensions. Another thing one came to mind. But you want to use that stuff because it's good stuff, mm. and it works in the body. Okay. So if you want to go into like what do I think someone should be taking at a minimum, mm. a sure. multivitamin. Okay. I love curcumin. Curcumin, because it's an anti-inflammatory? It's my favorite. If you could pick one thing on the earth, that's my favorite. Wow, okay. It's anti-cancer. It's anti-inflammatory. lowers cholesterol. Fights diabetes. It's antifungal, antibacterial, antiviral. It's amazing. Wow. So curcumin, multivitamin, vitamin D. I love products that support the liver to help you detoxify. Mm. I love liver GI detox by pure encapsulations for that. Fish oil is amazing, and an adaptogen, some type of ashwagandha, rhodiola. Those are the basics that you kind of need mm-hmm. to kind of keep the systems going. A good starting point. Yeah, yeah. And is there any? Can you just take all of those with breakfast? Do they have to be taken at different times of day? There are different types of day. Like usually, most supplements you take need to be taken twice a day. Got it. Sometimes at once is too much, and the body just eliminates the overload. So you kind of want to take half and half. To get Got it all it. in you. Okay. But yeah, it's like you kind of said all the different buckets. That's a good way to look at it where you have your, it is all about what are you eating? What are you drinking? Are you sleeping? How do you manage stress? Are you exercising? Mm-hmm. Stress, like I'm, I want to talk one more thing about that is that's what's going to get us all. It's, we don't handle stress well. Life is so stressful. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, stress is a perception. Mm-hmm. We talked about this earlier. Like what color is stress? Go, go get me a bucket of it and bring it back and show me what it looks like. Mm. You can't do that. It's your reaction to life. It's how you're reacting to a, an event or something. Mm-hmm. So one of the rules I want to tell people to do in the office is called the one-month rule, where if you're pissed, stressed, worried, anxious about something, mm. stop and ask yourself, am I going to feel like this in a month from now about this issue right? or not? If you say yes, that's legit. 
it's legit worry. But if you say, actually, no, I'm not going to care about that email or that argument with my husband or that guy cut me off, my to-go order got jacked up. You're not going to care about stuff like that. So let it go. Why hurt your body with that stress response? So learn to forget stuff. But the one-month rule is something I really teach people because then they're like, oh, yeah, they come back in. I'm doing that one-month thing, and it's Mm -hmm. really helping me not stress out. Mm -hmm. You know, meditate every day, take breaks every day. Mm -hmm. So those are the pillars, I think, diet, exercise, sleep, stress response, supplements, Cool. Meditation, spirituality, mm. work on you, mm-hmm. and give yourself a break. This yeah. is a this is habit creation. This does take work. It's it not going to change overnight. No. But when you think about that one month rule, I think if if we all committed to a ten minute meditation in the morning and a handful of supplements, I bet in thirty days we'd feel different. You would. By far, meditation is the bomb. That makes me feel very hopeful. Thank you. (laughs) So I ask everybody who comes here, the title of the podcast is called Work in Progress. And when you hear that, what comes to mind as a work in progress in your life? Myself. I think we're all work in progress, Mm -hmm. all of us. Mm -hmm. So the day you leave this earth, you got to keep working on yourself. Mm -hmm. In a mind, body, spirit way, but to me it's more the mind and spirituality part. That's my work in progress right now. Hmm. And so I think that's where I'm going with that is going to take me to another level in healing people and helping people. Hmm. That's that's my what I feel in my heart and gut. That's so exciting. I'm excited to be along for the ride. Let's do it. Thanks for coming. You're welcome. This show is executive produced by me, Sophia Bush, and Sim Sarna. Our supervising producer is Allison Bresnick. Our associate producer is Caitlin Lee. Our editors are Josh Windish and Matt Sasaki. And our music was written by Jack Garrett and produced by Mark Foster. This show is brought to you by Brilliant Anatomy.